Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we continue our Friday series with James Jordan walking through the book of Jonah. As always, we do invite you to take a look at those links down there in the show notes. Specifically, we'd love for you to head over and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We just wrapped a video series with Peter Lightheart walking through the Theopolitan vision, and we are now in the midst of a series walking through his book, Theopolitan Reading. As always, we want to thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you enjoy and are sharpened by this time of teaching. And here is James Jordan discussing the book of Jonah. Jesus says that as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man would be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. Well, three days and nights in the heart of the earth. What do you think the heart of the earth is? You all remember where Jesus says that? We've heard that before. Three days and nights in the heart of the earth. It really refers to Jerusalem as the center of the world. And the three days and nights starts with his arrest in Gethsemane. And then his being put on trial, his being whipped and beaten, finally crucified and then buried. Uh, All of that is heart of the earth stuff. And after that, the sign of Jonah is not just that. Jonah, after being in the fish, goes to the Gentiles and they hear the gospel. And so three weeks ago, we had Jesus commanding the disciples to harvest all these fish. The 103, 153 fish there in John chapter 21 uh, has to do with harvesting the Gentile nations. That's what happens next. And then we saw last time that uh, being at Joppa... uh, and going to Cornelius is another Jonah event. And Peter's kind of like Jonah. He doesn't really find it easy to go to the Gentiles. This week, we have Paul going to Lydia and uh, uh, her heart being open. And I'm trying to find where that passage is. Chapter 16, that's it. And here again, uh Paul has a vision. A man of Macedonia says, come over and help us. And so Paul goes, you know, he doesn't have to be persuaded around anything. And he goes out over the water and he comes to the district of Macedonia to Philippi. And there is a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul. Obviously, that doesn't mean God regenerated her, you know, in the way we think of it, because she was already a believer. She was a God-fearing Gentile. Very wealthy. It says she and her whole household were baptized. That means her employees. And uh, I know she's wealthy because she's selling purple. What kind of fabrics does this refer to? It refers to wool, probably, but because you can't dial in it. But colored dyes were terribly expensive in the ancient world. 
These dyes were made by harvesting little snails called murex snails and then getting a little teeny weeny bit of purple out of each one and then processing it to make purple dye. So colored garments were very expensive. This woman is in an expensive trade and she and her household are baptized and they come stay in her house. Here again, it's like the story of Jonah. You go to Nineveh, preach the word, king is converted, Jonah probably stays there. So this, this theme of going to the Gentiles is a big deal, obviously, in the book of Acts, and there are Jonah allusions in it. Now, what we want to do today is survey the book of the Twelve. We saw last time that the, the book has three parts. The first six books, which are like a cycle, linked to the book of Isaiah. It's at the same time in history. The next three books, uh, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, are all at the same time as the fall of Jerusalem. They're Jeremiah's day. And then we skip down another couple of generations and we find the last three books, which are when we come back from exile. And there's kind of a link to Ezekiel. Uh, we saw that the two main themes in this book are the day of the Lord, the time of judgment, and God's inspecting the people and bringing judgment on them. So let's just look at how this goes. Let's, let's just kind of take this as one book with one plot, one storyline, and say, what's the storyline? So on the second side of your page, we start with Hosea. Hosea starts with judgments focused against Israel, the northern kingdom, which apostatized sooner and went into exile sooner than southern Judah. So that's where we start. Remember that the prophets began in northern Israel. The prophetic covenant begins with Elijah. Because the temple was in southern Judah, the border was closed. The Levites had all moved south. They had no Levites, they had no pastors, they had no Bible teachers. And frequently, as I say, the border was closed. And so it was necessary for God to raise up a new clergy. And this clergy, which were trained at the schools of the prophets, met from time to time on new moons and Sabbath days. And they become the prophetic company. And the essentially strange thing about the beginning of the prophetic covenant is that Elijah is told to go and anoint Hazael, king over Syria. So the first time God is saying, take the same anointing oil that you used for David in my messianic kingdom and go claim another nation. And from that time on, the prophets were sending messages out to these other nations. And God is extending his claim on the nations round about. It starts then. So the prophetic movement starts in northern Israel, although there are prophets in the south as well. Uh, but it starts in the north, and that's where this starts. Hosea is prophesying in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. And the book of Hosea is in three sections. The first is the story of Hosea and Gomer, which is a type of Yahweh in Israel. She sends. Uh, the children that she gives birth to are called no compassion, not my people, lo ruhama, lo ami. These are not 
the people that God wants because of their sin. And so she apostatizes and go off, goes off uh, and leaves Hosea. But he's told to get her back, purchase her from slavery, put her in a wilderness situation for a while where she kind of dries out from her sinful past, and then marry her again. So this book begins with a recollection of the exodus from Egypt and the establishment of the kingdom. Now we are in a situation to bring judgment on that kingdom. And the judgment begins in chapter 4. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. Now we use the word Israel to refer to the northern kingdom and Judah to refer to the southern kingdom. What's the other name for the northern kingdom? It's Ephraim. Okay, the northern kingdom is called Ephraim or Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. But here the beginning of the prophecy is against the sons of Israel, which is both. Okay, the sons of Israel himself. So in chapter 4, verse 15, Though you, Israel, play the harlot, do not let Judah become guilty. Uh, and Judah is going to be in the same thing. Hear this, O priests. Uh, and the judgment comes against both Ephraim and Judah. Verse Chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, I am like a moth to Ephraim and like rottenness to the house of Judah. And this is a legal case. Last week, we talked about inspecting jealousy and the bride is brought near with bread. And God comes and says, okay. And we did that today. When you bring God bread into God's presence, you're asking him to come and check things out, which is what he does. Part of the miraculous aspect of the Lord's Supper. Similar language in chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to the word of Yahweh, sons of Israel, for Yahweh has a legal case against the inhabitants of the land. This is in Hebrew is called Reb, and biblical theologians refer to it as the covenant lawsuit. God is bringing a lawsuit against the people. He's got a list of all their sins. And he's taken them to court. And in chapters 4 to 6, he's dealing with both Judah and Israel. Then in chapter 7 to 14, he focuses on Israel, on Ephraim. Uh, he gives a whole series of prophecies about how northern Israel is going to be judged and go into exile. And it ends. Joel, uh, Hosea 14, verse 8. O, o Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? Okay. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. The righteous will walk in the ways of the Lord, but transgressors will stumble in them. Now, the book of Joel, we're going to assume that this is like one book. Okay. Joel follows on this with a warning to Judah. His prophecies all have to do with the southern nation. And the book starts kind of the same way Hosea does. Hosea started with a parabolic event. Hosea's marriage to Gomer and what happened. This begins with an invasion of locusts. Locusts come in and devastate the land. And then God says, locusts come in and devastate the land and everything catches on fire because the land is so burned up. Uh, the land is so dry. So we have locusts and we have fire. Uh, chapter 1, verse 19, fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness because the plants are all dried up. 
Alright? There's been a drought and there have been locusts. Then in chapter 2, prophetic answer to this, human invasion is going to come in. A human army will come in in time and bring judgment against the people. And they'll be like locusts. Okay? But in chapter 3, he promises restoration. He says, at that time, chapter 3, verse 1, I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, and I will gather all the nations. Now, this, um, this is language that's going to be picked up at the end of the book of Zechariah, which is talking about the New Testament time altogether. And he uh, uses the language that is seen at the day of Pentecost. It will come about after this. I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. So we started with Hosea. Judgment on both nations, particularly the north. Then we come to Joel, judgment against the south. And then we come to Amos, and that's judgment on everybody. Okay? Amos, um, I want to find something real quick here that I occurred to me while I was driving over here. Uh, he starts on these nations, and in every case, he says he's like a lion. So in Amos chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord roars from lion, from Zion, and from Jerusalem he utters his voice. And then in verse 3, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke its punishment, because they threshed Gilead with sharp irons, So I will send fire on the house of Hazael and consume the citadels of Ben-Hadad and break the gate bar. Okay. Now, this is very stylized. The first judgment is against Damascus. All right. And Hazael. He's going to send fire. And the reason is because they were cruel to other people. Then the judgment comes upon the Philistine cities. For thus, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they deported an entire population and gave it up to Egypt, to Edom. So I will send fire on the wall of Gaza and consume her citadels. Okay. Then we move to Tyre. For three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they delivered up an entire population to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send fire on the wall of Tyre. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the sons of Ammon and four, I will not revoke its punishment because they ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to enlarge their borders. So I will kindle a fire on the wall of Rabbi and consumer citadels. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke his punishment. Because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime, so I will send fire upon Moab and consume its citadels. Now listen to this. For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. Because they were cruel to other people. No. Because they rejected the law, the Torah, of Yahweh and have not kept his statutes. Their lies have led them astray. So I will send fire upon Judah and consume the citadels of Jerusalem. And finally, 
Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and four, I will not revoke its punishment because they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. And they turn away the, the humble and they, a man and his father resort to the same prostitute. And so judgment will come. And that issues in then most of the rest of the book. Now, there's a couple of things I want us to notice here. All of these nations have some specific relationship. It says the first judgment is against Damascus and Hazael. Well, remember I told you, Elijah was sent to ordain these men as messianic rulers. They were supposed to serve the Lord. In fact, if we read through in the in Second Kings, we would find that the kings of Syria refer to the prophets of Israel as their fathers. My father, my father. And they send to the prophets uh, to get a word from them. They have some recognition of Yahweh. Then we move to the Philistines. The Philistines have been around a long time. God sent his Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines. He brought judgment upon Dagon. Remember, Dagon fell down in front of the Ark. So the, the Philistines have heard the truth. And one of the Philistine cities, Gath, converted, and it's not listed here to be judged because it converted in the days of David. Then we have Tyre. Tyre did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. What's that referring to? Hiram of Tyre. Buddies with David. Built the temple. The Tyrians recognized the God of Israel as the supreme God. And the temple in Jerusalem as the true temple. And so when Tyre goes into sin, there are a lot of passages about judgment on Tyre. Because Tyre was a theocracy. It was an apostate nation after it went bad. Then we have Edom. The Edomites have always been right there next to Israel. They were a converted nation for a time. Read the book of Job. Job is the king of the land of Edom. And all the people who are there talking to him are Edomites. Okay? And they all know about the Lord. Uh, they kind of misapply what they know, but that isn't an Edomite context. So there have been times in the past when the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, have been converted. Then we come to the Ammonites and the Moabites, and God's judgment is against them. And here again, God has given them their land. Okay? That's what I was looking for is in Deuteronomy chapter 2. Uh, the Lord spoke and said, you will, this is in verse 18, you will cross over Ar, the border of Moab, come opposite the sons of Adam, do not harass or provoke them. I will not give you any of the land of the sons of Ammon as a possession. I, get, I gave it to the sons of Lot as a possession. Okay? Uh, and the same thing is said about Moabites and Edomites. God gave them the land. There were times when these people were believers. And they're cousins, aren't they? Who are the Moabites and the Ammonites? They're descendants of Lot. Okay? So, they're cousin nations. Now, every single one of these, the judgment is for cruelty. Not for law-breaking. And suddenly we come to Judah, and it says, because they broke the law. Then we move to Israel, and it says, because they oppressed the poor. The pagan nations, God judges in terms of cruelty. 
Now, you want to ask the question, in, in Romans it says God overlooked the sins committed in ignorance before. Now is the time for the judgment of the world. How about all those people who never heard in the Old Testament time? People living in China or did they just all go to hell? How does God judge them? Well, there's an insight here. How you treat the image of God. Because images of God are a revelation of God. If you show kindness to the image of God, you have some work of the Holy Spirit, some remembrance from the Noahic covenant, then good. If you are cruel to other images of God, not so good. And so the, the judgment of the nations that's shown us in Matthew 25, there's a lot of things going on there, but basically it says, you were nice to other people. I was sick and you visited me. I was hungry and you fed me. And they said, oh, we weren't aware we were doing this to you. And he says, yeah, but when you do it to poor people, you're doing it to me. So now Sometimes we think God just predestinated to hell everybody who never heard the fullness of the gospel. I think we have to have a lighter touch about that. This passage is revealing something about these things. And, and you know, it's God's business who, whom he judges. We'll leave it with that. Amos actually begins again with a little typological event, doesn't he? Uh, as we saw in Hosea and in Joel, we have uh, an event that's kind of a, a typological picture of the judgment to come. It's the history of Gomer and then the um, locust invasion. Here he says, the words of Amos among the sheep herders of Tekoa, which he envisions concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam II. Two years before the earthquake. Yeah, yeah, earthquake, you know. That's that's no accident. It's coming in the third year. Things happen in the third year, third month, third day, third hour. It's always a shakedown. And so if this land, quaking of the land, this shaking of the land is going to happen, then these judgments are going to all these lands. And fire is going to break out on their citadels. Now, I don't know. We don't know from history if there really was an earthquake. But if there really was an earthquake in this whole area and the citadels were shaken down and fire broke out and burned a lot of these cities, you can see how that would fit. Uh, So whether this happened literally in terms of an earthquake causing these things or whether he's just uh, God is giving the this imagery is the same thing. Earthquake, land quake, a quaking, a shaking of the lands. In chapters 1 and 2. And then in chapters 3 to 8, the judgments are primarily against northern Israel. We've gone back to northern Israel. They are going to be judged first. And although he says Judah, specifically he says Judah did not keep the Torah and the statutes. When he goes to Israel, northern Israel, which did not have the temple in its midst and was not quite as closely connected to the rituals and the Torah, He says they oppress the poor, commit all kinds of sexual sins, and uh, that is what they'll be dealt with. And you find this all over the prophets. Prophets are very concerned with social crimes. Uh, So, we will not survey Amos beyond that. Judgments are primarily against Israel. And then at the end of the book, he tells us that God will restore the captivity of his people. And this is the captivity of northern Israel, first of all. Now, who took northern Israel into captivity? 
Babylon, right? No. Assyria. Okay? Assyria took northern Israel into captivity a hundred years before Babylon took southern Judah into captivity. Now, Jonah is all about Assyria, you see. It's part of the plot of this book. God says, I'm going to take you into captivity. I'm going to bring destruction upon you, northern Israel. Well, before we get to Jonah, we're going to get to Obadiah. Obadiah says judgment is going to come upon Esau, on Edom. Now, there's a whole book of the Bible dealing with this. But right in the middle of it, in verse 15, it says, The day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. So the judgment on Edom is symbolically or is a type, a picture, a threat to all the nations. Edom in particular, though, because they're kind of a counterfeit of Israel. They claim to have they claim to live in the cleft of the rock. It says here we want to do the book of Obadiah. We see God hid Moses in the rock. Now these people are hiding in the rock <clears throat> and they build on high like the eagle. And they claim to have all these wise men in their midst and their own prophets. Well, they're going to be judged. But that's a warning. That's a, that's a sign to Israel and Judah. You know, uh, Everything that's being said about Edom is going to apply also. So learn from them. Okay? Learn from what's going to happen to Edom. Then we come to Jonah, which we all know Jonah by heart. We don't need to go over that. You see, Jonah gives us an inspection and a judgment on Nineveh and Assyria. Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And they don't avert the judgment, but they take themselves under judgment, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, and as we'll see again. The resurrection of Nineveh is assigned to Israel and Judah. And Jonah shows why judgment must come. Because the people refuse to carry out their God-commissioned task of witnessing to the nations. Jonah, for whatever reason, doesn't want to go there. And so judgment comes upon Israel. This is part of it. Okay. You're supposed to go and bear witness to the nations. And if you won't go there voluntarily, God will drag you over there and then you'll do it. That's what he says. But Jonah didn't want to go, so God dragged him over there. We've already seen this. How did Naaman the Syrian know to go to Elisha? Because it was a little captive slave girl. In his household, taken off into captivity from northern Israel, and she bears witness. She tells the truth. She says, if you want to be cured of leprosy, Elisha is the guy you want to go see. You know, she bears witness. So the message is real clear to Israel. You either voluntarily get involved with world missions, or you go there involuntarily. All right? Jonah also, though, as we saw, shows the preparation of Assyria as a haven for the continuing coming exile of Israel into the land. And also, we can say, builds that nation up. You know, a pagan nation does not have much strength. It can have cruelty, but not much cultural strength. When people start worshiping the gods... When people start worshiping the true creator God and stop being afraid of the forces of nature... Then they can have much more dominion. They don't feel like they have to be afraid of this, that, and the other when they go out and take dominion in the world. Here's this city of Nineveh. And when God takes the gospel there, he is raising them up. He's making them strong. After a generation 
of being believers, they're going to be culturally much stronger than they were. So this is how God raises these nations up. He raises them up to be an army to judge Israel and also to be a haven for the coming exile of Israel into the land. Jonah goes to prepare a place for them. Uh, This is another Joseph story. Uh, Try to get back to this a little bit later on. Joseph goes down to Egypt. He doesn't want to go there. (laughs) He's dragged down there. But uh, everybody gets converted, including the Pharaoh. And then the rest of his family goes into captivity down there. And it's very nice. It's a nice captivity. They get to Goshen, the best land. Then they apostatize and they start worshiping all the Egyptian gods. You know this from Joshua 24. So then they get reduced to slavery and then they have to have an exodus. Well, this is kind of going to happen again here. And Joseph is the one who goes down to Joseph. Jonah goes down to Nineveh, Egypt, and raises them up. And it becomes a place for God's people to go to until they repent and they get delivered from it. Well, then the book of Micah comes and it's the last of this first set. And it's both Israel and Judah for their sins. And Judah begins to receive more attention. Judgment has already been announced for northern Israel so much that now the judgment is focusing on Judah more and more. So both nations are under judgment. But that's the end of it. The next thing that happens after this is a century or so later, northern Israel is taken into captivity. And when we return to our to our story in Nahum, we have moved down quite a bit of time. Northern Israel is already gone. They've been taken off into Assyria. But now we have another oracle against Nineveh. Nahum pronounces a doom on Assyria for having apostatized from their converted status. And once again, this is a type sign to Judah. Not to Israel. They were already over there. But the judgment that's coming upon the nation, on the city of Nineveh, is a sign to Jerusalem. And he says in chapter 3, verse 2, chapter 3, verse 1, Woe to the bloody city full of lies and pillage. And that language is going to be picked up in Zephaniah and applied to Jerusalem. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the tyrannical city. Jerusalem is the tyrannical city. So, Nineveh, the judgment on Nineveh is a sign to Jerusalem. Learn from it. Then Habakkuk comes. And Habakkuk is the next book. And remember Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah, they are all around the time Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. They're the other three pastors of the first remnant church of Jerusalem, first remnant synagogue of Jerusalem, along with Jeremiah. Remember Daniel and Ezekiel, both the same age, and their friends. They are all members of these guys' Sunday school classes. See, so that, there's this continuity here. We, we, we want to understand who these people are, at least in part, as we read through. Well, God says to Habakkuk, "I'm bringing the Chaldeans. They're going to come and bring judgment. Uh, I'm not happy with the proud king of Israel, Jehoiakim. He's like death." Uh, Righteous people will live by faith. In other words, if they maintain faith, they will come to resurrection on the other side of this judgment. But you will go through judgment. That's Habakkuk. And then Zephaniah brings us to the 
fullness of it. Zephaniah reveals God's wrath against Judah as the great Sabbath day of Yahweh, but ends with the promise of resurrection. Such promises have been sprinkled throughout the preceding books as well, but here it provides a transition to Haggai. It starts off with the day of the Lord, uh, and this is the completeness of it. God's day comes. I think I read this last week, but it's too good not to read again. Near is the great day of Yahweh. Near and coming quickly. The voice, the noise of the day of Yahweh is overwhelming. In it, the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day. A day of trouble and distress. A day of destruction and desolation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. Okay, we back to Amos there, the citadels. Here we are, Jerusalem, the citadels. In the fire of his jealousy, we're back to fire again. In the fire of his jealousy, he will make a complete end of all the inhabitants of the land. And then if Jerusalem is going to be struck, then that's the center of the world and judgment goes out. What is supposed to go out of Jerusalem? Waters of life to the four corners of the world. How many rivers come out of Eden? Four. You can have a cross up here. The cross is not just a symbol of Jesus' death. It's a symbol of the kingdom and the influences going to the whole world. And when Jesus is there, his blood covers the whole world. There's blood on his head, there's blood on his feet, and blood on his hands. And blood at the center, flowing out as blood and water. See, that's not an accident that it happened that way. But Jesus' blood covers the entire world from a position above the earth. So, here's the earth, and here's Jesus' blood, and here's heaven above, and God always looks at the earth through that. Well, that's here. Instead, what's flowing out of Jerusalem is poison, because instead of proclaiming the true gospel, they proclaim compromise, they go after the other gods, and so the, the other nations are suffering as well. And so, first of all, the judgment goes to Philistia in the west. Verses, chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. Gaza will be as, uh, in Hebrew it says, Gaza will be Gazab. <laughs> Gaza will be abandoned. Ashkelon of desolation. Ashdod will be driven out at noon. Ekron will be Akra. Ekron will be uprooted. Not Gath. Gath is a believing city. They were incorporated into Israel long ago. They're, not, they're part of it, Judah now. So, judgment goes out to the west. Let's see, is that west? Whatever it is. And then he says, judgment goes out to the east, to, the, to Lot, Moab and Ammon. That's in verse 8. And then judgment goes down to the south, in verse 12, the Ethiopians. And then judgment goes out to the north, Assyria and Nineveh, in verse 13. So, judgment now is going out to the entire world. And why? Because the city is rebellious and tyrannical. How you treat the images of God is really important in the prophets. She did not receive instruction, Torah. She did not trust in the Lord. Her princes are lions. Her judges are wolves. Prophets are reckless, treacherous men. They proclaim the law, proclaim, uh, profane the sanctuary. They steal from the poor, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but then he ends. And remember, we are inspecting jealousy. We're inspecting the bride. 
in all of these books. So there's going to be daughter language in here, and here it comes. Shout for joy, daughter Zion. And nobody's ever told you this before. Hear me. There is no daughter of Zion in the Bible. There's no daughter of Jerusalem. This is an appositional use of the construct state. The daughter is Zion. Okay. Daughter Zion. That's her name. Daughter Jerusalem. The church. Shout for joy, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart. Daughter of Jerusalem. See, daughter of Jerusalem. Because the Lord has taken away his judgments. Uh, as a victorious warrior, he will restore your fortunes before your eyes. Well, this is all said just before they go into exile. They didn't have to go into exile. They could have listened. God says, look, I, I, I destroyed the Edomites and you wouldn't listen. I brought judgment on northern Israel and you didn't listen. I brought judgment on Assyria and you didn't listen. Well, now, you might listen. Here, Jeremiah comes and he says, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be in charge of the world for the next 70 years. So, just do what he says. You know, send some tribute over there. But you didn't listen. So, Nebuchadnezzar came and he took away a lot of the gold out of the city. Maybe you'll listen. Nope, you didn't listen. So, Nebuchadnezzar came back and took a lot of the bronze out of the city. And you wouldn't listen. You rebelled again. So, Nebuchadnezzar came back and destroyed the city. But Nebuchadnezzar came to the city four, three times before he came the last time. Daniel goes into captivity 20 years before the city is destroyed. And in the second year of Daniel's captivity, he and his buddies are elevated to be hot dogs among the advisors of the king. And a couple of years later, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, put, are made governors over province Babylon. The central and most important province of the land. And a few years later, Nebuchadnezzar sends a letter out to his entire empire saying, you'll never guess what I went through the last seven months. But uh, now that I'm back, I just want to say there's only one king in heaven and everybody needs to worship him. All of this happened before Jerusalem was destroyed. And they would not listen. So God sends his own Daniels over there. He converts the king. The king tells everybody in the empire, respect Yahweh, king of the Jews. And the people in Jerusalem still rebel. And they deserve it. But Zephaniah has told them that God's no is not the last word. His yes is the last word for these people. So now we come to the last three books. And we'll quickly do this because... This is kind of off the page of where we are. Haggai shows that the people have returned from exile, but not wholly to God. In Haggai, we see the resurrection of the temple. If you read this book, it's a little bit complicated. But he says, there's a corpse in the middle of your life. And the corpse is the temple. And because the, the temple is a corpse, it's spreading uncleanness everywhere. Unclean means symbolically dead. So if you have a rotten corpse here and it stinks and it's rotting, it's putrefying, all worms are all over it, you know. Hey. So that's what it's like. He says, now if you'll get to work rebuilding the temple, it'll all turn around and water and life will flow out everywhere. That's the message of his little book. Then Zechariah tells us all these glorious things that are going to be part of the new covenant situation. They're not going to have a seven-fold lampstand anymore. They're going to have forty-nine-fold lampstand. And they were going to ride out between, the, the temple is not going to have two bronze pillars next to it. 
It's going to have two bronze mountains next to it. And they're going to ride out on horses, taking Sabbath to the north, bringing judgment to the entire world. They're going to be spread out in the Jerusalem without walls as witnesses everywhere. And then there will be some difficulties and tribulations in the future. But at the end of it, verse 21, every cooking pot in Jerusalem and Judea will be holy to the Lord of hosts. And all who sacrifice will come to take of them and boil of them. And uh, the bells of the horses will say holy to the Lord. That's holiness spreading out, you see. What was it that originally said holy to the Lord, engraved on it? The high priest's breastplate. And that was it, okay? But now this holiness is spread down to the bells. Remember, the high priest's garment has bells on it that tinkle as he walks along. So God knows where he is, okay? It's a little glory cloud sound. And now it says not only bells on the priests, but even on the horses will be holy to the Lord. His holiness is going to spread out all over the place. And that's just so great. And then this covenant, wonderful new covenant. It's not the final covenant. Now, he says, uh, David hasn't come back yet. He says, I want you to make a crown. Give the crown to the high priest to keep in the temple till David comes. Okay, Jesus comes. Meanwhile, I got all this great stuff for you to do. You're a nation of prophets. You're going to do all this stuff. Be a lampstand, shining light in the whole world. Okay. What he wants them to do. They did it for a while. Then they apostatized. The book of Malachi deals with their apostatizing. Particularly the priests. Divorcing their wives. uh, Marrying cute young things. And the Lord says, I am still seeking a righteous seed. A righteous seed is going to come. And as I said to you last time, Malachi is the ultimate inspection of jealousy. He says, you, you come into my presence and lay bread in front of me, asking me to come to the temple, and I will. And I'm going to burn you up. You're not going to like it when I come to the temple. Uh, because you come with his impure hands and blood all over your hands, or the tears of your wives all over your hands, and then you come into my presence, and I will come and I will judge. So that's where it ends. Now, it's in that context that we see Jonah. Okay, Jonah goes to raise up uh, an enemy nation to bring judgment. And Jonah goes uh, to also provide a place for them to go when they are taken into exile. So next time we'll be in a position to focus in on Jonah. Any questions about this little survey now? I know it was lightning fast, but you see you have your, your study sheet. These books are hard because they're filled with all kinds of details and sometimes very obscure language. You know, Ephraim is a cake not turned and stuff like that. It's not real clear uh, what some of it is, but this is the gist of it. Judgment spiraling down to the city and then life spiraling back out. All right, let's stand and close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the stories that you've given to us, even when they're complicated stories like this. We see that you never leave us alone. You called us to yourself, and you intend to wrestle with us until we are the kind of people you want us to be. Help us always to be people who have faith in you, so that we come to life on the other side of all the things that might be coming our way. Now hear us as we sing your praises. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.